Again, here we go. So Parshas MR5782. Our class today is called Stale Judaism, Causes and Effects. We are in Parshas MR. There are many, many topics in Parshas MR. Sorry, our share today is dedicated. Where'd it go? Okay. Focal. Where is it? Yes, I know there is one. Yes. Who's it? I don't see written. Did you write? The share is dedicated for Dina Bas Yisrael, who in memory of Dina Bas Yisrael, Eloi Nishmas Dina Bas Yisrael, sorry. Okay, we do have a dedication. Our, okay, Parshas Emor has many, many topics. And there is a, a, a sequence of concepts that flows through the Parsha. What we're gonna do is gonna work backwards. We're gonna look at the last story, that odd story of the Mikhalil, the blasphemer, and go backwards. Okay, we're also gonna go forwards. We're gonna see it in context of the, everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it. All right, so let's first start out with the actual story. It's found in Parak 24, Pasuk 10. And again, this, is, um, this uh, sort of affirms what we learned last week, our subject last week was search for context. Okay, we can really never know what we're dealing with unless we search for context and Sometimes we really don't fully understand the context. So let's, um, this is going to expand on that a little bit. So look at the two pasukim. And a son of a woman who's a Yisraelist. Let me stop for a second. You know, the Torah is not written in real time. It's not like as things happened, Moshe wrote it. All right. Rather, when Moshe goes up to our Sinai, that's before the Aser Sidibros. Hashem dictates everything that should be written from voracious till Maman Har Sinai. So it wasn't written in real time as things happened. And then in the years in the Midbar, Hashem continuously through a state of Nevoah dictates to Moshe exactly how to convey certain truths. Truths are taught through stories. Truths are taught through sequence, thematic sequence. So these, this is how Kodesh Baruch Hu wants us to, the, to hear the story so that the ideas are, that are meant to be conveyed get conveyed, okay? So Vayetze ben Ish Yisraelis, who ben Ish Mitzri, now this is his yichus, is a son of a, a Yisraeli woman and a Mitzri man. So do you know who we're talking about? Who we're talking about? Who's the only one we know whose the father was a Mitzri? And the mother was a Yisraelis. So Shulamit. Shulamit. Correct. Remember that man that Moshe killed? Remember the whole backstory, the Mitzri? This, uh, there was a Mitzri who saw this woman who was given the name, which is mentioned now in our Pesukim, Shlomit Bat Divri. Shlomit Bat Divri and Chazal say that might, that was not her real name. It's telling us a little bit about her. It's saying that she would say shalom, shalom to everybody, and she would speak a lot. It, and due to that, the Mitzri, okay, this is not blaming the victim, the Mitzri saw that as a license to get to, to be, uh, to, to, as if she was showing interest. And therefore, the Mitzri came to the house, one of the taskmasters at night, and gets kicked the husband out of the house and raped the wife. And that, then the husband came home, saw this happening, started to get into a fight with the Mitzri, okay? And, um, and uh, Moshe, this is the Mitzri that Moshe sees beating up a Jew and Moshe kills the Mitzri. 
and it says Vayipen he looks here and there, which means deep, you know, on a deeper level, he sees there's just no salvation for this person, and he kills him. How does Moshe kill him? Ah, you learned that, right? Moshe. I thought he strangled him and buried him in the So the the Chazal say Vayomer, okay, that he spoke, he said the name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and uh, and he killed the Mitzri. Now we're not going into that in depth. What that means. But the point is, it is associated that it was the name of God, okay, itself, and the lack of this Mitzri's attachment to that on any level, he looked this way and that way, so there's no future, no past, nothing. There is no attachment that this Mitzri had with the, anything that had to do with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. There was no salvation. There was no glimmer. There was nothing. And therefore, this Mitzri had no life, no life to preserve. So, um, so that's number one. Moshe evaluates this person vis-a-vis -vis their attachment to God. And then with the name of God itself kills the person. Very interesting. Now look what happens. So here comes this child of this union. Very ambiguous. And in the camp, right in the middle of the camp, a fight broke out between the Ben HaYisraelis and the Ish HaYisraeli, who's the Ish HaYisraeli? We don't know. Don't assume it's Moshe. We don't know who it is. But there's some sort of argument. By Yikov ben HaIsh HaYisraelis, and the son of the Israelite woman pronounced the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by Yikalel, and essentially blaspheme. Blaspheme means to deny God's existence, to say that there really is no God. So it, here's the conundrum of the so-called atheist. How do you um, how do you attack a god you, that doesn't exist? Okay, how do you blame a god that doesn't exist for all the evil in the world? <laughs> right? If it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. So there's a different category called makiras boro. You recognize your god umischavin, and you intend to rebel. But then there's another category where someone says there is no god, which is really if there is none, what are you talking about? What's bothering you? <laughs> So, um, so it's an interesting phenomenon to be, and we'll get into what that phenomenon is. Um, so this this curse is by Avihu Oso Moshe. They bring him to Moshe, and then it says V'Shem Imo Shlomus Pasdivri Lamatedan, and his mother's name was Shlomus Pasdivri to the tribe of them. Everything here is laden with meaning. Okay, let's go into the basic Rashi. Rashi helps us read the Pesukim. Keep on reading. Keep on reading. It allows the Torah to be mikra to read a story. Okay, what, what is the flow here? What is the Torah trying to teach us simply by the flow? Okay, so first he has to deal with this Vayetze. Comes in, coming out from where? There's no flow here, Vayetze. He came out. So Rashi gives three, three um, commentaries on this. Okay, they're not alternatives. They're all, they all work together. There's something going on here. Again, the Torah and the Mepharshim never write in essay form. So we have to look beyond. <laughs> It wasn't until the Rishonim, starting the Rambam and, the, and such, that people started explaining things in essay form. Okay, so here's Rashi. ben Where he? Where did he come out from? Rabbi Levi Omer. Rabbi Levi says yatsa. He left his world. What does that mean? What does it mean? Any just trigger any memories? Where else has I'll say yatsa? It's, oh, it's interesting. Good. Very good. What does it mean to leave your world? Leave that as a question for now. He left his world. What do, what do the words mean? Mm -hmm. Two words. Okay. 
next. Rabbi Brachia Omer. It actually, he came out, this whole thing evolved from the previous topic. This is a continuation. This is trying to, the sequence is trying to teach us something. He started mocking and he said, no, wait, let's go back. Go back to the previous parsha, the previous meaning section, the previous topic. What is the previous topic about? Coffee break. <laughs> What is it about? What's the topic right above this? Two psukum, first, last couple of psukum right before this. What, what, not the chalat, the lechem haponim. What particularly about the lechem haponim, the showbread? It really is called the face bread. Lechem haponim is the face bread. That it, well, that's not what it says in the pasuk. What is the pasuk about? Pasuk is about the fact that they made them and they brought them and the, they would switch them, okay? They would leave them on the shulchan and for a week or so, and then they would switch them. So he started mocking. On every Shabbos, you would arrange it, take the old ones off and, and place the new ones. So he would say, He would say, wait a second. This bread's been sitting there for nine days, from the day it baked it, till the day you put it in, till the day you took it off, to pull total nine days. It's what you're serving your God stale bread. Like this is for God. You're now like this is you're letting your bread to God go stale. God eats stale bread. He started mocking it. What is this about? Okay. So um, he asked him a question. Prove it to me. What, what, what is going on here? Next, third one. Abraisa says he came out of the basin of Moshe. What happened was his father was an Egyptian. So he went to pitch his tent in the camp of Dun, where his mother belonged to, as the Pasuk says. But they said to him, What have you to do here? What is now? Look at the Hebrew. Okay. He went later, Ahala Basoch Machnadan, Amulo, Mativcha Lakan. What is, what is the word tifcha? Matifcha lakan, what, why are you justified? Tov, that you should dwell among us. I mean, in other words, you don't really have a shaver. Okay, because the, this is after, this is after Matan Torah, the father is a Mitzri, you don't really have a shaver because it goes by the father and you're, we just know your mother is from Dan. So on what justification do you share any similarity to us? What's Dan about? Go, so go to any shevet. Like, why are you picking us? Is there something that's that you identify with done? Okay. So, Amar lehem b'nei dan. Amar lehem. He said, me b'nei dan ani, but I am technically from done from my mother's side. They said, no, you're not. You don't have a shevet technically. So, the fact is, if you want to come here, you should be, there should be some similar correspondence to who we are. We don't see that. So, there's something about that. Okay. What is he missing? Okay, then he goes into another base din, Don, and Moshe says, No, you don't belong in Don. Doesn't mean he's not going to be anywhere, just that's you have to pick a shave that you're suitable for. What is going on? Okay, Dina, da, yes. Okay, there's so many questions. There's so many questions. Rashi is just throwing out comments from Torah which again need to need un unpacking. We're going to get to Yatsume Olamo, but first we're going to do the second one. 
He said, what do you serve God stale bread? You know, so look at Chagiga 26b. Chagiga 26b says, talking about the Shulchan. The Shulchan is made out of wood, okay? So it says that, and why indeed is the Shulchan susceptible to Tumah, being that it is a wooden vessel designated to rest in a fixed place and should therefore not be accessible to impurity. So if it's a keli and out of wood and it's not movable, it's not makabal Tumah. Okay, but this verse teaches us that it actually was movable. Ela Malami. They actually picked up the table and showed it to all the people that came to Olorego. And they showed them the lachem hapanim, the face bread. Okay, They said, See how much Hashem loves you. The way we take it out a week later is the way we put it in, warm and fresh. It didn't get stale. The Amr of Yeshua ben Levi, there was always a great mace done with the lechem upanim, kesiduro kachsiluko. The same way they set it up, that's when they took it out. It was always warm. So, what in the world was he even talking about? It was a famous nace that the bread stayed warm. So, why is he saying you're serving your God's stale old bread? Okay. And um, Kohanim, right, that's also, okay, we're going to talk about that. Now, in addition, okay, in addition to knowing that the bread was always warm, okay, and it was not stale, and like Judy actually just said, it was going to the Kohanim, what else happened to the bread? What happened? What was the, what was the whole service about? Okay, the service was about, look in Brachas 12a, we learned in a mission tractate Talmud that on Shabbos, a single blessing is added to bless the outgoing priestly watch. When they took the bread out, they also did a switch. All the Kohanim would switch their shifts, okay? So uh, the Gemara asks, what is the single bless blessing? Rav Chelbo said, as they finished the service, okay? Mishmar Omer Mishmar So the leaving Kohanim said to the ones that were coming, Misha Shachin he who dwells his name in this house, he should dwell among you. There was a whole spirit of inclusivity and collaboration and kindness and generosity. And everybody was wishing the other that they should be successful. So the entire, the, the whole experience with the warm bread being taken out and at the same time blessing everybody else and including them and saying, that there was a, God is always with you as he's with, in this house. The whole spirit of the moment was extreme, it was the extreme opposite of stale bread, like it, some sort of disrespectful and um, kind of cynical comment that, you know, how what, your relationship to God has no feeling. It's, it's, it's old, it's lost, it's, it's vigor, it's stale. You guys are a bunch of, you're just going through the motions. Let's see what he was really saying, right? The bread is stale. You're serving your God's stale bread. This represents the whole avoda. The whole thing is just going through motions. It's a bunch of rituals. This isn't real to you. That's what he's saying, right? It's stale. Okay. So let's look at B, the three reasons for the outburst. Okay. For the Before you go on, I want to ask you, um, the Kohanim, I thought that they did two-week watches, not one week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did two-week watches. This is even, I guess, on their shifts, they had, you know, there were different Kohanim on the same shift that took different hours, right? 
So, ah. so I'm not, and, and this on Shabbos and this, and this, um, you know, so I don't know exactly how it worked, but there was some change of, sh of shift on Shabbos. There was a change of shift every day between the morning, the night. So this was a change of shift, not necessarily a change of the two week shift, but the inner shift. Okay. So let's look at the three reasons for the outburst. And of course, we're going into, obviously, as our cell, we always do, looking into motivations and what drives us and what drives us close and what drives us away and what we have to watch out for. Because this, this Makalel, in the end, as we're going to see, the entire nation had to be involved in officially you know, um, decrying this behavior. And then there's a whole bunch of halachas afterwards, which we're going to look at that are highly emphasizing the care we have to take with humans and animals to make sure they feel that we value them and we respect them. Okay, so there's a balance here. Now, what does it mean, me olamo yatsa? You know, we come up with that term uh, here and there in, in, in Mepharshim, in Perkei Avos. Give me a statement in Perkei Avos that sounds similar that we've been mentioning recently. What do we have that's the opposite? What do we have about that everybody has a piece of the olam? Doesn't get taken out of their olam. What is going on with the olam? We start out we just did a special class. It was a Tuesday morning field class, but it was posted on all the chats and on her anytime about We talked about this idea. Also the non-Jews, anyone who keeps seven mitzvahs, anybody who understands that there is a bigger world that they're part of. So first of all, we have a concept of a world. A, a, a other a different a different a different a different dimension a world in a different dimension but a whole other world and we all have a chalik in it we all have a place in it but we're always being warned don't do anything that's going to take you out of that world we have some very bad character traits that can take you out of that world here this makal take goes out of that world what does that all mean okay so look what we say when let's uh, this is Rabbi Shapiro look what we say at every funeral, Kelmale Rachamim. The nifta, the neshama, is separating from the body. And the phrase we say is Hashem, full of Rachamim, who dwells above, who gives menucha through the shechina um, on many high levels, etc. And then we say the neshama of so and so, bas so and so, shahalach laolamo that has gone to their world. So there's a world we go to. And we certainly don't want to leave that world. We don't want to be found, find ourselves outside of that world. And we're, caught, we're cautioned not to ever let that happen to us. So let's talk about that, that idea, okay? What is the olamo? So we know we live here, and you know, in the physical realm. We know that the entire physical realm, fundamental idea, not new to any of you, is a physical manifestation of spiritual forces and truths that operate on many, many levels, okay? The physical world, you might even say the entire physical world is a muscle. Everything here serves as a muscle 
for a higher version of that very same force. We talked about males and females are mashalim, all of that. Everything is, okay? And therefore, you can learn from everything in this world and you can learn from nature and all of its, all of its endless um, expressions. We can also learn from human nature and all of its <laughs> almost predictable expressions, okay? So everything in the physical world is God's self-expression manifesting itself in a physical form, okay? However, everything that's physical, all right, is meant to be a vehicle, a, a portal, a, a a, a, an access point to attaining some sort of self-development, some sort of accomplishment of the higher self, the non-physical self, that will be eternal. Everything here serves to only stimulate us to go deeper so that we realize that what we're really doing and really building is going is really something that is not physical and will exist forever. For example, I'll give a classic example we've talked about before. We have children in this world. Many people have children, okay? Everybody knows that a person's biological child, okay, is, is a separate individual. There is no way to compel that person to be a little mirror image of the parent or a little, a little duplicate of the parent. It doesn't happen. So a person can have a child that's nothing like them. In fact, sometimes sadly, a person has a child that violates and repudiates every single thing about the parent. Is this really a child? It's a biological offspring, but it's no continuation of the parent, not even a little bit, not at all. It's not a continuation of the parent. It's a muscle. Really, we are, we are called banim lamakom, children of God. The Chazal tell us tamidim. The Perth, what what is it? A child of a person is somebody who is similar to that person and learns from that person and carries on the ways of the person. But in every Talmud, there's individuality. They're not going to be fully the duplicate of their teacher. Is there any creation out there that is completely a duplicate of me so that it is entirely my child? Yeah. We learn, or Shlomo Fisher's Zephon Levracha taught that the only real offspring of a child is themselves. Their, their, their higher selenolokim that they make out of themselves. In other words, the full synthesis of a person's best thoughts that they, that they that they, that they push themselves to think. And their choices that they push themselves to make and the emotions that are dictated by their priorities and by their self-concept, which they choose, constantly choose to reevaluate who they are and how they think about themselves. And that dictates how they prioritize things. And that dictates their emotional responses and that dictates their choices. That in the end is the totality of the person. Now, just like we view each other here, we recognize each other here by our physical teacher. All of these qualities, our spiritual features, our priorities, therefore our emotions, how we channeled them, how we expressed our priorities and our values and our attack, which ultimately is attachment to Kodesh Baruch Hu, but how we express that, different mitzvahs, different kedushim, different life, the way we lived our life, the way our sensitivities, how it all came through us. These features will be totally recognizable in the next world. Everybody say, oh, hi, I know who you are. They'll absolutely recognize each other. We'll recognize each other by our spiritual features. We live in another dimension called our olam, olam haba. And we're not talking about, 
confusion. I'm not talking about what we talked about in Tchias Mason class, which is after Tchias Mason, there's something which is called Olam Haba. There's another dimension called Olam Hanashamas. Yeah. Even now, when we say people are in Gan Eden, people say, oh, they see their relatives. You even hear stories of people who are in the, like hovering between this world and the next world, and they recognize people. <laughs> what are they recognizing? Bodies? The spiritual features of the person are identifiable. They know exactly who the person is. We all have an olam. That is the eternal olam. We don't want to be removed forcibly from there. What does it even mean to be yotze meolamo? What does it even mean to leave that world you know, intentionally? So let's look at, um, let's look. No, the animals, animals. No, 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 no. The Merkava was way beyond their pay grade over here, but animals. Okay. What bothered, uh, what, what was the issue here with the Lechem Hapanim? How does, how do you get taken, how do you like opt out of your world? What's driving it? So first of all, the Imre Emes, the Ger Rebbe has a beautiful, a beautiful observation. It says, look at Mishle 2719. Like water reflects your face back to you. Okay. So that's how each person's, you know, lave. Now we know lave doesn't mean heart as in emotions. That's not the way Tanakh wrote. It means the composite. Lave means a composite of your your perspective and the emotions that generates. It's a composite. They didn't have a word for mind. Lave was the word, which is really more accurate, which our perspective, which governs our attitude and our, our feelings about something. Cause it all comes from perspective, how we see things. So he says, that's how, how one person will see another person is based on how they see themselves. It's based on their perspective. So look at the word projection. It's, an, it's a basic word that we use in psychology, right? In relation to projection, the mental process by which people attribute to others what is in their own minds. For example, individuals who are a self-critical state, consciously or unconsciously, may think that other people are critical of them. What bothered him at Lechem Hapanim? Why did he see staleness in the Lechem Hapanim? Let alone to say he's referred to as an Ish Mitzri, okay? Bread displays, were universal in ancient Near Eastern cultures, okay? They used to offer their breads to the gods, okay? There could be an association with this idol worshiping sense that you got to work, send, give your bread to the gods, okay? And you got to keep the gods happy, okay? And the bread was changed daily, suggesting that his purpose was to feed the gods, okay? Now, what happens here? He's, he, but Israel is different. Am Israel is different. You know Rambam's whole approach? Ramam doesn't specifically say this, but Ramam's whole approach that we were being weaned away from idolatrous practices and totally reappropriating them and totally changing them to represent truths and spiritual ideas. For Israel, it was changed weekly, not daily, which means Hashem wasn't eating fresh bread. It had nothing to do with God eating fresh bread. The whole concept, if, it would, if the God needs to be served constantly, and therefore you got to give him fresh bread constantly, why are you leaving the bread there for a whole week? including the day you made it and the day after, like it's a whole nine days, it turns out, the cheshbon. So um, he said, no, the Jews didn't do that. It was changed weekly. Moreover, while at least part of all the other bread offerings were consumed on the altar, these those just sat there. And then they were given to the Kohanim. It was totally different, okay? Scholars understand that Israel then took a familiar practice and totally undercut its, undercut its familiar meaning. Instead of feeding God the bread represented, 
instead of feeding God, the bread represents God's permanent providence and sustenance of Israel. The requirement of 12 loaves corresponds to 12 tribes, 12 stones, etc. So what's happening here? Somebody- Esther, can I ask you when the Kohanim ate it? No, when did they eat it? They, <laughs> not right now. The, um, and there was another bracha when they ate it too, by the way, that just a little bit filled them. But in any case, here's the thing. Somebody's looking at the lechem apanim. Panim. You saw in it what you brought to it. It was face-to-face. Kamayim panim el panim. He was coming with a perspective that this, this whole thing is... Ob- is 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 um it, there's no there's no vigor in it and there's no enthusiasm in it and it's stale why when you come with a mitzri attitude which was the old-fashioned attitude that oh if you're putting bread on the thing it must be to keep god happy and serve god bread it, it is true okay and this is and think about you know our world and and leaving the world there's two alternative ways of seeing everything we do one is a laborious tedious repetitive process of keeping God happy. It gets stale very, very quickly, as is evident all around, okay? It gets stale very quickly. That is the way the idol worshipers did it, okay? Fear drove them. Maybe it wasn't stale in terms of the fear factor, so they kept doing it, but it certainly is stale in terms of a purpose for life, all right? But our lechem upon him were totally different, but he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. Our lechem upon him were saying the extreme opposite. They're not for God. God doesn't eat them. We're not keeping God happy. We're not feeding God on a regular basis, serving him. By the way, they used to go into the to- temples. We were just in Egypt, as you know. So we saw this all over and constantly worship the statues, offer food to the statues, wash, anoint the statues, like nonstop. So um, he's coming out of this concept, you know, and he's saying, and he's a- appropriating these ideas. And he's saying, I don't, this, this, is, this is useless. What do you, the whole thing, it has no point. All right. And, um, and, um, and he starts mocking it. And when he mocks it, it's not just, he's not just mocking it, he's makalel. What does kalel sound like, guys? Kalel, halal, what, it's very similar. What is a halal? A void. This world, when you live in a world that is devoid of any sense of your own personal attachment and how the mitzvahs are for you, how you're building your own olam. This is not for God. You're building yourself into a person who is, has greater and greater capacity to understand that in our finite little bodies, okay? Through our finite little actions, through our speech, through our behavior, we get the ability to channel God there by attaching ourselves to God forever and living in a dimension called our olam, okay? Which is an eternal olam, which is part of a much greater reality, which is a Kaddish Baruch Hu's reality and existing there and not just being subsumed in God's existence when it's all over, but actually having our own identifiable, so to speak, zone, our own olam. Like everybody knows what our little world, meaning, what we added, what we contributed to the big picture, our fingerprint that lasts forever in how things unfold in the world, the imprint we made. We have our own little space, so to speak, in, in the great all-encompassing space of God. <coughs> but that requires a person to exist with a state of mind 
that everything that's happening here is to inter help us internalize the concept that <clears throat> that what what that our sus even our bread that's the that is a symbol for sustenance we are being sustained and it is a constant sustenance and we're it is always fresh why is it always fresh it's always fresh because it's never about god when you're working on your own self-development when you see yourself advancing it's always fresh it's always something, it's always a thrill because the person themselves is evolving. Everybody loves that. People go on diets, they endless sorts of self-improvement regimens. And they, they know it's gonna take a long time and they stick to it, whatever it is, to get healthier, to get to work on their midos, to work on their anger management because self-development never gets stale. Because in the end, as we talked about the greatest chesed that anyone could do is what? expand themselves because the more we make out of ourselves the more that anyone who ever meets us for the rest of our lives will benefit from our development and that always feels good so it never gets stale and the bread is always fresh meaning Akadosh Baruch Hu's sustenance of us is always fresh because Akadosh Baruch Hu is always giving us the capacity it doesn't just mean physical parnasa, which is, that's number one, just like there's constant oxygen and constant, there's water, there's constant food. I mean, the lack of, if there's any starvation on earth, it's only because of corruption and distribution and how much food we throw in the oceans and all that stuff to keep the prices high. But the, um, the, um, the, the constant, uh, the constant available material for self-development, constant available material for self-development, which leads us to the next thing. He went to Don. And they said, but you could go to any Shevet. So why do you want to be here? You have nothing in common with us. So what's done? Now done is a lot of stuff, but at least the word is din. Okay. So we have a little inkling where to go with here. Okay. What is Midas Hadin anyway? What is din? It's another din is another word for two plus two is four is a din, right? What's it another word for? MS. MS. It's another word for the reality, the truth. There's a greater truth out there. Okay, and the truth is that we are not living in our own little bubble. You know, we talk about this all the time. We can't help it. It always comes back to this. And it's, the most, it's such an important idea that we're here, helpless, vulnerable creatures, and our job is to keep someone else happy. Again, I know we've said this too many times, but that makes everything stale. And if you talk to any religious person today who's walking the walk and talking the talk, but really there's no sense of inspiration or attachment. This is exactly what they say. I do mitzvahs because Hashem said so. Okay. I don't want to go to Gehenna. You know, that type of thing. And um, hmm? it is taught it, unfortunately, and it needs to be changed. So, um, so what happens? He goes to Dunn and Dunn says, you really don't belong here because um, the fundamental idea, you know, of Din, let's just say, let's just, this is a little bit homiletical is that it's MS, there's an MS here, you're part of a bigger world. We, this attitude you have, okay, that, um, that it's survive, real survival mode, you know, we, we, we don't want that attitude around here, you know, and that it's stale, like we don't, it's, we're not comfortable with that. So they don't include him, okay? So then he goes to Moshe and Moshe says, they don't have to include you. This is not an attitude that people want to embrace. So then he gets very, very furious or whatever emotion it is. And he goes and he says, he starts cursing, which means blaspheming, which saying there's no God at all, which is just an extension of the whole concept anyway. So here's two things we want to talk about now. And I started late, so we're going to go a little bit late. 
They bring him to Moshe and they don't, Moshe doesn't know what to do with him. My grandfather has an unbelievably beautiful idea. And he brings the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that with the, the guy who was collecting wood on Shabbos, they also brought him to Moshe because also they didn't know what to do, but it was different. They didn't know which, what, you know, which sort of, um, that um, with the wood grab, gatherer, so let's look in the, in the Gemara, I'm looking three lines down on the last page. He was liable to be sentenced to death, okay? But he did not know which death penalty it was, okay? But what about the, the blasphemer? Moshe didn't know what to do at all. He didn't know, is he high me? Is he not high me? Like he didn't know at all. Like, what do you do with such a person? My grandfather explains the most beautiful idea. He says, a person, as we just said, you can only relate to things according to your own, you know, how you see things. That's how you project things in other people. Moshe couldn't even possibly process a mindset like this. He couldn't understand. He had no what he did, could not think like this. He could not in any way identify or internalize some type of, of perspective like this. He didn't know what to do with him because he could not even process this sort of mindset. What does one do with this sort of mindset? Where does it, it was foreign. It was so foreign because Moshe was the extreme opposite. And therefore he was totally lost. He goes, I don't even have any familiarity with such a thing. How do I even think about it? What construct do I put it in? I don't know where to put it. It was just something completely from Moshe that locolate, right? That's what he says. Now look at the next one. Benoslav was totally, oh, that's a different thing. This is where he didn't, uh, that's it, you're right. On Benoslav, he didn't know the halacha. But this says that he didn't even know if he got a death penalty or not. He didn't know, is it serious? Is it not serious? Does it deserve a death penalty? Is it not? What do you do? But look at, so they, the halacha is that everybody, now this is an interesting pattern. Moshe killed the Mitzri by using Hashem's name in secret. This man used Hashem's name, the opposite, to deny the whole thing, to blaspheme. And then this person is killed publicly, okay? Now, Amishel has to come out and make a protest against this, an absolute protest against a person promoting this concept that this staleness, that it was keeping God happy and there's no value in it, there's no anything in it, you're, you're a bunch of fools and, uh, and um, your religion has no depth, whatever it was, okay? A public protest to stop it, to shut it down. But look at the next sukkim. Tell them, let's read the next second. Let's go. Next three, four, five second. Who wants to read? I don't have a homish in front of me, but they speak for themselves. What do they say? What do you got? After that, after they stoned him, what are the next second? What are the next halachas? Okay, what's, tell, let's just summarize them in English. What, what about them? I guess I should get a chumash. <laughs> Esther, we can't hear. I'm gonna get a chumash. I'm telling everyone to read them because I don't have a chumash, but thanks. I'll just do it. I'll do it myself, okay. <laughs> okay, so after they stone him, okay, look at this. Okay, look what it says. So, um, so if this, these are the next halachas, okay? What sukim are they? Now starting Pasuk 17, okay? If a person mortally strikes any human life, most humans. So first of all, 
Um, you have to, killing a person, misa to kill another person. It's a capital punishment. Nobody can kill each other. Umake nefesh behema. What about just killing an animal? Okay, you shall mena. Nefesh tachas nefesh. One life for another life. Restitution. You kill somebody's animal, you kill an animal, you have to pay back the whole animal. You can't just kill an animal. It's if for sport. By the way, for, for Jews don't hunt. It's not a thing. We don't just kill animals for fun. Okay, even fishing, by the way, where my, my grandfather, my father one time was sitting next to Moshe Feinstein at a dinner, he asked him about fishing. He says, you're going to eat the fish? He says, no, throw him back. He says, why would you do that? It's our Baal So everything. So he said, yeah, if you're going to eat it. Look at this. Ish mumba amiso. What if somebody wounds somebody else? Okay. Kasher kenyasala, whatever he did should be done to him. He makes a wound. Shever tachas shever, ayin tachas ayin, shein tachas shein. This sounds familiar. A wound for a wound, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. Now we pay back monetarily, but the, the way it's written is to say, nobody has any right, okay, to in any way um, harm another person. Okay, whatever mum he gives on another person, whatever wound, he should get that mum, he that wound back. Umaka behemen, it brings in animals here. Yishalmena, he has to pay back. Umaka adamumas, he's repeating it over and over. What are these laws saying? These laws are saying that, um, look, oh, and look at the next one, sorry. Mishpat echadi elachem, kager, keezra. This is for the Jews and everybody who lives there, all the other populations that live in Israel, all the minorities, everybody, any stranger. So right after the Makalel, okay, there's this huge emphasis on <clears throat> care that has to be taken, not to harm a person, not to wound a person, not in any way to take advantage of another person, of course, not to kill a person. We know killing means a lot of things, right? We told them embarrassing, um, you, you know, destroying your livelihood, not telling them, you know, giving them bad advice, there's all sorts of Deep, you know, kind of like more um, nuanced concepts that fall under not killing. But the Torah is talking about here, you got to take a person's life um, with, with more compassion. And why do you think these halachas are following this whole story with the Makalo? What's the link? He's a bad guy. He's got this Egyptian attitude, okay? He doesn't see, he's, he's promoting this, this very cynical, um, you know, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you may die. What's the point? Why stale bread? You might as well, you know what I mean? He's promoting yes. Esther, it's not so clear. The whole point is they are responsible for what he became on some level because right. they didn't participate in his upbringing. They, they pushed him out. So let's talk about what, why these Pesukim come. These Pesukim are Torah is, that's right, Rebecca. The Torah is not just cataloging events that happen. The Torah is telling you the story bringing out the salient points and the Torah is Musar. The Torah is telling you how to, ultimately everything in the Torah is guiding us to how, how we're supposed to ultimately form ourselves as individuals and nations. Remember, the Torah is given to Amishol in what time of our development? What era in the development of Amishol? Childhood. Childhood. These are the Chinuch years. So here the Torah comes and it says, even though this is a terrible attitude, and it's right that you don't want this attitude around you. And he was completely wrong, okay? And he destroyed his whole um, sense of identification for God. And he just didn't, he couldn't, he, you know. But we're, we're, the Torah is coming here to say very clearly, there is responsibility 
for everybody to make sure that another person is not wounded. An animal can't be wounded. Kalvachomer, another person can't be wounded. Wounding an animal is usher. Wounding a person could almost be like killing a person. What happened to this person? Where did he, what, ha, what went wrong here? Maybe he wasn't treated with the respect that he could have been treated with. Maybe he wasn't given the, you know, the, the he was thrown out of school. Maybe he was thrown out of school, okay? But, By the way. Why did he miss the big lesson that everyone else didn't miss? What happened here? So there is implied in the psukim that um, that the I mean, it's clearly trying to say that his father's Egyptian attitude, his Egyptian father's attitude, sort of influenced him. And what that is saying to us too, let's be clear, that there are that sort of attitude can take anybody, okay, and ultimately drive them away by, you know, compounding this problem. This ad, we have to be aware that that attitude doesn't live in us. But yeah. Yes. Can you repeat that? Yeah, she said everybody had to put their hands on his head, okay. and, which indicates also, you know, you do that with the carbon when you transfer like a chatas your sin, so to speak, to the animal. So in the one hand, we, the, yeah, there's the tone yeah, that say that um, this attitude is clearly, you know, a, an attitude that we have to eliminate. But the question is here, how do you eliminate it? It's, there's one thing called eliminate the attitude, but let's go deeper. How do you eliminate the attitude is you don't, you try not to let it get started. Okay. Now I wanted to say one, I want to make one point clear here and then we'll open it up. Um, this um, this person was complaining about spiritual spiritual practices, about religion. It was stale. It was meaningless. People had no it had no real value. Okay, and this is there seems to be fault being implied upon the nation that this attitude that somehow he wasn't it wasn't it wasn't dealt with. Okay, and there's rahmanas for that, and there's rahmanas for that, and there is responsibility for that. I just don't want to make any association with a person who because they had bad parents or because they, the system failed them, okay? They went ahead and became a monster to other people, all right? You know, like the Walder situation. I don't wanna make any situation. Some people try to excuse it, the system failed them. I don't wanna make any association because everybody understands that well, Hillel said, what you hate, don't do to others. Everybody gets it. And if somebody knows that I hate this, then, and they're doing it to others, they say, I need to get myself help. And if they refuse to do that, then there's guilt. This is a different story. This is a person who feels empty and stale, okay? And gets angrier and angrier. And it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle because then Meshavatan doesn't want him, okay? And then he's Mimotzi Meolamo. He takes himself out of the world. He digs into this attitude that it's all purposeless. There's nothing really here. The whole thing's a joke. Why would there be any religion to keep God happy? Therefore, there's no religion at all. There's nothing true. He digs deeper and deeper. And obviously this is poisonous, but of course, as we're saying, it's clear that, um, that there's implied responsibility here not to let that happen. So the real question is, and then I'm gonna stop, what do we do? How do we talk and how do we educate so that this never becomes the attitude? And the answer is the emphasis goes to us. This is what Rav Shapiro was so, so unique about. It's not about God. It is not about serving God. You ask any from person, what's your tachlis in the world? To serve God. And they literally mean it things just do nothing, be mavatu yourself and serve God. That, Oved Hashem, but what does that mean? And we, everything we've ever learned in this class 
And this mahalach that we've taken is to deeply convey the idea that we are, we are participating in a Kaddish Baruch self-expression. All the mitzvahs are to help us realize that so we understand what we're part of. We handcuff ourselves, our identity, to God's identity and channel Hashem's self-expression, our unique ways through the timeless truths and the mitzvahs and the midos. And then we have a tachlis without the crazy pressure and anxiety of not knowing what to do with ourselves. And we therefore, Oved, Eved, like Moshe's and Eved, means that we understand that our greatest fulfillment is in being in sync with what we're anyway part of and making that our identity. And that gives us a concept of, you know, what we're here for and what we're supposed to do. And everything, you know, I, want, I just let me say one little, one little thing here. Okay, ooh, so late. And then I'll open it up. There are, when you learn Torah, there's a million teachers. We all know that different strokes for different folks. And there's a million different mafarshim, and everybody responds to different things, and different things speak to everybody. It's all true. It's fine. That's how it works. But every single person, at some point, has to pick a mahalach. You can't go and open every pasuk and read 95 mafarshim on every pasuk. It doesn't get you anywhere. You have to pick a derech hachayim, and then you stay learning from that those teachers and those that tradition that Masora that works with that Derech HaChaim, that way of seeing the world, that, that Derech HaChaim that includes all the different aspects of Judaism and it all fits together in that Derech HaChaim. Ramosha Shapiro brought to this generation the Derech HaChaim of seeing things from the perspective that we just talked about of Kavod, that a person's becoming aware of their participation in the grand scheme of things and therefore having a personal sense of cover because God is speaking through them and understanding that all Torah mitzvahs are so they become aware of who they are and that through us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets, gets, uh, is discoverable in the world and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, needs us or has, is relying on us. And we are like the mother of Hashem. All this mahalach, this is our mahalach. I make no apologies for it. This is, we don't have any other mahalach. This is mahalach that we, we've, we've chosen and everything fits into it. And at some point, it, it, you know, to just to move forward, you got to choose a mahala, one derech hachayim, and uh, and work with that. Yeah. Okay. Loud question. I'm not understanding why you have to get formal. Why shouldn't they? I mean, it's like in this day and age, you can say somebody's got to do the Correct. Correct. It's a very good question. That uh, why you know why the whole nation. Please repeat the question. Why the whole nation stones him? Okay. In general. They're all responsible. Oh, Garmu, beautiful, Sandy. Garmu, Ragmu is, is they are responsible. They are responsible. You know, when we, right. When we, you're asking a good question. When we, because it's not full responsibility, clearly. It's not full responsibility. Nobody can say it's their fault. Nobody gets the right. Nobody gets the free pass. No, no, no. Because, because first of all, I would just say one thing. First of all, we're looking back in time, okay, to a very different time when the Jewish people thousands of years ago were children and this was common practice in various cultures. So that's number one. But the deeper thing is here, clearly, I mean, as far as I can say, my humble opinion, it's not full responsibility, but it's definite responsibility. Nobody gets a free pass to say it's someone else's fault 100%. It's not how it works. There weren't teachers. 
there were people he could have gone to and said, I don't, I'm not feel, I'm not approaching this right. I'm, I'm dead. I'm stale. Please teach me better. There was nobody who reached out to him. There was nobody who opened their heart. I don't believe it. It's never mm -hmm. full responsibility. There's always somebody there. You just, so that, at some that point, it must have been a, a, a building up attitude. It must have. A whole shade of huh? Well, the based in, the based in who decides, you know, whoever that is. But it must have been that he had an identity already, as such an identity. This was his identity. This was who he was. He was the famous cynic who, you know, right. who. So he had the Mitri blood. blood, which also means ideology. But the point here is, it's not true in the Jewish community that a person who's searching for a better attitude um, can't find a single person who's willing to talk to them. By the way, there was a, I want to tell you, there was an interesting book. I read a fascinating book. It's called Those Who Go Do Not Return, about Shulam Dean, a Hasidic guy from Skver, who um, eventually left Skver Town. He's very interesting. Anybody remember him? He was in Shoyashev. Yes. Remember him? David Dean. Yeah, yeah. David Dean. I know, David Dean. <laughs> anyway, he writes in the book that everybody, yeah, he was a, he was a very fascinating guy, but he writes in the book that everybody turned him away and everybody didn't talk to him and everybody that he, no, he died, David Dean died, but Shulam, his son, went off his rulers. But anyway, so he writes in the book, everybody, everybody turned him away and this Shulam and nobody talked to him. And I know people who personally spend tons of hours with him. It's not really true. So, so um, people like to have that narrative. It dissolves them a little bit of death. So I don't think it's a full blame. You can never say someone else. By the way, when we get up to Shemayim, okay, they're never going to ask us why someone else lived there the way they lived. Okay, <laughs> there. So yeah, we all, you know, Yagata Umatsasa. If you search, you find. Very interesting. By the way, Leon Trotsky, who had such a, an effect on Jewish history in Russia. He was kicked out of Talmud Torah because his mother couldn't pay the fee. And he turned on, he was actually, he had grew up at a from house and By he had way, such an anger. Do you know what? Who is the model for that scenario? The model is Yosef. Yosef was kicked out. Nobody cared about him, blah, blah, blah. You have every single human being has an internal drive to live the life that they should live irregardless of other people okay so i'm not i i it's not black and white ever no obviously but we but it's emphasizing that a person we, we sometimes we have to overcome rejection and nevertheless that others rejected us or we didn't you know that nevertheless live our life live the life we that that's that we know is right and true and that we want to search for the right life um you know, there are many, many stories, famous stories of people like Abraham Lincoln. How many times has he rejected? But he right. knew he had a calling. Yeah, no, 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 it's absolutely. But it's yeah. just, it's so clear in terms of what's going on in many yeshivas today because there's yeah. an overflow. There's not enough room. And how many kids are just like, you know, you're not important. You don't meet the box and you're it's just- a very big issue. Hold on, I'm stopping the recording because it's going to be too big to put, but I'm not 